This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Cradle the, cradle the balls if you need to. <laughs> Fucking hell. We going? Oh, we're going. We're going, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sunday afternoon podcasting, which means I'm drinking Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't do we're too still, many Sunday afternoons. We're still feeding guests beer, which is good. That's mm-hmm. that's that's how we roll. With Smoking Tire Podcast, we're here. We're live. Not really. We're, we're here now, sir, but you, you'll you be listening later. They'll get this on Wednesday. They'll get it on Wednesday. Yeah, fuck yeah. It's a good day. Been busy. All the ones running around. Beach traffic. Fucking tourists. The be- oh, it's a problem. Yeah, as it getting turns in- out, people in California like to go to the beach during the springtime. I know. Getting getting in and out of the beach is a problem. But we're here. And uh, uh, joining us this week, very interesting gentleman. Uh, met him in Dubai, where I saw one of the more impressive feats of driving I've actually ever seen uh, uh, in person, which is which is impressive. John Bothwell, welcome, sir. Thank you. From uh, Persang, Argentina. If you've never heard of these guys, you got to check out their website because they build exact recreate i don't want to call them replicas because they're sort of are and sort of not but they're exact recreations of pre-war sports cars is that accurate yeah i like to go with the word continuation continuation replica has a lot of stigma you know you yeah think replica you think fiberglass you yeah think yeah volkswagen engine <laughs> and uh, that's actually really a hard part of my job is figuring out what do you call these things yeah yeah marketing them as probably actually just as challenging as building them because you've got to convince someone that this thing which is you know deep in the six figures you know it's not this is these cars are not bullshit cars they're like just just so Faisal's Bugatti Type 35 which we saw in Dubai and I, I saw you driving and so I guess I'll I'll start with so we were filming in, in Dubai, and and um, our our host there, his name's Faisal uh, <clears throat> bin Laden, and uh, <laughs> and uh, which is which still makes me laugh. Actually, I don't know why it does, but he's he's awesome. So he bought one of these things from you, right? And you went over there to help him. What learn how to drive it or or work on it or whatever. I still don't know why I went over. <laughs> you were the, you were just chilling. You were just there. I was in Paris for Retromobile and I got a call and he said, "Hey, you want to come to Dubai?" This is how that's how those that's how the Arab guys work. It's yeah. just like, oh, what? Just drop what you're doing and come here. Like, By okay. the seat of your pants. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 wild over there. Those guys. And so they had this thing out and and I got a ride in it um, up and down this this road with Faisal, which was really really cool because this is a legit. Bugatti Type 35 continuation or whatever, but it's exact. The point is that it's exact. It's not like it's some fucking bullshit thing. And uh, and then one of the you ever have one of those drives, you know, where you and your buddies are all you're not driving crazy, but you're all speeding at an appropriate level. I have no idea what that's. Like. Yeah, and so it's like I'm in this Aston Martin, and then I think Musto was in a Ferrari. And then our other friend was in this Porsche 918, and then there was uh, our other friend was in a GTR, and then here's John in a 23 Bugatti, <laughs> and we're going down the fucking freeway in Dubai at night. There's a dust everywhere. You know, I'm in a car 
this thing has barely even has a windshield. Are there like danger camel crossing signs like there are deer signs? There's danger no. all kinds of shit signs. In Arabic. In Arabic, so, which okay. is not... <laughs> well, but, everything uh, in Arabic is just kind of by default. But he was, I mean, he right. was carrying like between 130 and 190 kilometers an hour down the freeway for an extended period of time. Your shirt was fucking, you know, your uh, your face was flapping and like... And so, and, and just watch, you know, I'm in like an Aston Martin, so I feel cool for five seconds and I look over and it's like, oh, here's a car that, you know, won the fucking Grand Prix in the twenties or whatever it was just passing me. And then we come to an exit ramp and our friend in the 918 took this exit ramp at unbelievable speed. I mean, it was in a 918, un- unbelievable speed. But then here I'm behind John and I go, John's not slowing down. And John takes, it's just, just the, a three second excerpt of him taking a 90 degree exit ramp at 120 kilometers an hour and coming out of it sideways <laughs> and I'm just like oh what did I just watch like that I've never seen anything like that so that that's that's how I met John and we get to the we get to our destination everyone just like wants to shake his hand because they've never seen anything like that Have you, do you because I mean, to get comfortable in a car like that, do you, do you have you just done a ton of testing and you just know how they handle at speed and loose and everything? Because it seems that to me is like a museum piece, where even if the mechanic works on it or something, like they'll never get comfortable enough to drive that fast. Yeah, I've been fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time behind the wheel of these things, but. Let me tell you about that drive in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that was that accident, man. <laughs> yeah, so you know, ideally when you drive, you're planning for it. You've got the right shoes. You got your gloves. You got especially goggles. in a car like that, where like I was in it for five minutes and my leg was like, on fire. Yeah, it's spraying oil on you. You got water on you. You don't know what's You've got going goggles on. Goggles and and that's when scarf. it's that's when it's working properly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going from a business meeting in Paris to Dubai, and so here we are, and I'm driving this thing. Faisal, you know, he's had his fun for the day. It's now dark. He says, John, why don't you drive it back? Okay. So I got on my Versace loafers and a pair of chinos. No goggles, no gloves, nothing. I can't see the gauges. I don't know how much oil pressure we have. And all I know is I don't know where the hell we're going. Yeah, that's the one thing is we every all of us, we didn't know we were going either. But we had 500 horsepower cars. So, like, you could make a move. and ca- He's in a car from the fucking 20s by himself. Yeah, and I don't know what the plan is. All I know is that that guy in front of me, I need to stay on that bumper because that's going to get me back to my hotel, and I don't yeah. need to get stuck in bum fuck out here yeah. in Nevada, you know? Yeah. So uh, it was a, all about survival instinct as far as keeping up, and I, I had no clue how fast we were going. I couldn't see Yeah, were it. you surprised when you got there? I was like, wow, you hit 190K, and you're like, oh, Jesus. I was curious how fast we were going because one of the things that happened is that the cable drive tack broke. Oh, God. So, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to see it anyway. Because <laughs> it was dark, right? Which is sweet when you're driving with a car that's got about as many, you know, the headlight strength on that car is like you might as well have your cell phone. Flashlights, yeah. yeah, they're they're not good. So yeah, even I was, when I went down the hill with Faisal in the dark, I was like, I can't see shit. <laughs> and he gave me his goggles, and he was driving. <laughs> He's like, you want the goggles? Like, okay. And then I look over a couple minutes later, I'm like, this is great. How how are you seeing? He's like, I can't really. I can't see. <laughs> yeah. So bad. But, but the dude, the guys who race those cars, fucking balls of steel. Are they going to say that about our racing drivers? To, I don't think no. that. No. 
You know, right? back in the day when the Type 35 was in its heyday, you had a three out of five chance of coming back dead from a Grand Prix race. Like, that's insane. You, you had just as good or better odds for survival to go fight in the trenches yeah. than you did to race those cars. Yeah, and and at the time, they were really all gentleman drivers, right? You'd buy the car and you'd enter it into a Grand Prix. Like, that's just yeah. how it worked. Like, right. there, were, there was not like a factory feeder series. You know, it was all it was all just these gentlemen drivers, really, right? Yeah, I think yeah. everything was. We, I was just researching land speed stuff, and up until like '60s or '70s, it was just the guy that paid for the jetmobile <laughs> drove the jetmobile, and then once they hit, I think like six, seven hundred. It was or no. Once they got turbines and put on it, it was like now it's serious. Now we're doing rockets and not and not cars. Yeah, yeah. Not to tangent too hard. Yeah, you know, in the very early days of racing, um, you know, pre-teens, the race cars, Benz, and all the other manufacturers, they were actually only factory cars, which created a really cool subculture of hot rods where guys would buy you know these saloon cars and tourings and And just strip the whole bodies off them, right? Yeah, and Bugatti was the first guy who made the car for the gentleman racer. The Type 35 was actually marketed as a car that you can drive to work and to, to your house and everything Monday through Friday, and then you pop off the lights and the fenders and you have a Grand Prix car for the weekends. Now, it, did they spend the, night, the following eight years after they released it making unlimited variants of it and calling it the end of the run? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't do that. Yeah, But they they were sort, of the, uh, sort of the, the, the 911 GT3 of its day, kind of. Except it's a Formula One car, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, it was super ahead of its time. That's the, the thing car was, it. like, fast. Like, I went in that car, and it, it, like, it's 90 years old. And it was, like, it, he when he got on it, it felt fast. It's not, like, a slow car. No. No, I mean, Bugatti was a, was a mastermind genius with all of the technical stuff. The handling was everything for him. And you really, you can really see that. Why do they, what was, what was with the positive camber on all those, all those pre-war cars? Because they were all, you see pictures of them and they're all like, even all the way up to like the, uh, the Type 57 Atlantic, which was running all this positive camber. It was to keep the front end from breaking loose and spinning out. Oh, really? Yeah, because the center of the car, as far as your weight distribution, is is more than halfway through. Okay. So you need to have the positive camber to keep the front end solid and, and, you know, you want it to drift ideally starting on the back wheels. Right. And if you didn't have the positive camber, it'd break loose and you'd just be doing donuts all the time. Really? Yeah. Have you ever tried running with zero camber in one of those cars? No. Um, we've tried reducing camber. Yeah. And you can get away with not having such exaggerated camber. The camber on Faisal's car you saw is about half of what stock was. Yeah, his wasn't like too crazy, but the ones that I see in museums, you look at it and you go, how the fuck do you drive on that? Yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is crazy. Right. So... Take me through the process of okay. You, I go to a museum. I look at a Bugatti Type 35. It's ten million dollars. Call it seven million dollars, ten million, depending on your auction. It's right. deep, deep into seven figures, right? Right. So how does one go from that to Faisal's car? Well, it's a long story. It starts with Argentina. It starts with World War One and World War Two. You've got. Europe relocating to South America, basically, and they're taking with them uh, Nazis. You're yeah. meaning Nazis are relocating to South America. I don't think Turkey was like well, we're going to Argentina, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, actually, everybody went, mainly Italians, but they took their lifestyle with them, and they were mainly wealthy people. So, I mean, 
There was crazy stuff back then. I mean, entire palaces in Italy being disassembled and rebuilt in Buenos Aires. Really? Oh, yeah. Is that stuff still down there? Can I go see that oh, yet? It's, it's nuts. Oh, you that's know, cool. They, they built tombs for all the important people in Europe who were buried, like Dante Alighieri and other famous people. Yeah, yeah. To you know, Because they were like, Europe is over. And we're relocating. Okay, that, that didn't really happen, but they took with them all enough the, enough stuff that yeah yeah. So all the nice parts of life, including motor racing, which back then was a big deal for rich people. Yeah. And what happened as a result of that, as, as a side effect, is that because Argentina is so far from everything, uh, hey, we blew up our supercharger. We need a new one from the factory. Oh, next ship doesn't come for two months. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we got to figure out how to make these. Yeah. And they're all Europeans anyway, so that's what they did. After the war years, shortly thereafter, uh, Argentina pretty much came to a halt. You had Peronism starting, which screwed up the economy. And so time stopped in a sense. And to this day, what we would call lost arts are alive and well there as, it, as, as pertains to automotive Like ma- manufacturing and stuff like that, old school ways, you mean? Yeah, al- aluminum panel beating using an English yeah, yeah, wheel. Yeah. Like you go to any town and there are guys that know how to do that. Yeah. Here they're celebrities. Yeah, yeah. Here it's Jesse James. He's on TV because he's the last guy exactly. in America with an English wheel. Right. Yeah. Right. We, our, our best panel beater at the factory started out in the company as our gardener, and one of the panel beaters <laughs> really, really? didn't show up to work one day, and we threw this All guy of a sudden, line. he's and a panel it, beater. And a year later, he's he's putting out the best stuff. So. That's awesome. Panel That's beater great. sounds like a racial slur. So it does. So how long how long has Persang been around then? Uh, it's been around more or less for 30 years. Oh, it's, it's that old? Yeah. It I didn't realize out, it was that old. It started out really small. Uh, Jorge began the company... When, you know, he wanted a car. Yeah. And a friend of his had an original Bugatti in Buenos Aires. The guy asked him to restore it. He had it all apart, took advantage of the situation. <laughs> While it's apart, let me just copy this whole thing. Yeah. Had a yeah. pattern maker, you know, do all the tooling for it. And so he started building these things. Like the first 10 cars were done in the in the house that's on really? the villa where our factory now is <laughs> in the living room. Uh, divorce ensued shortly thereafter, and he was off and running. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a timeless story. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. But, I mean, but it's not just body panels and stuff. I mean, you guys make the engines. Everything. You make the parts that make up the engines. Everything. So Faisal's car compared to, uh, uh, or let's call it a production, one of your production Bugatti 35s today, mm. compared to an original, how many things are different? Uh, nothing really. You know, there are some options for things which have become accepted in the Bugatti the, racing world, like electric start. Uh, well, that was an option. Even oh, that was that an option. In the day, yes. So the crank in the front is just a backup. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realize that was an option in the day. Uh, one of the options we offer is a modified firing order and a plane bearing crank because those were two issues. They're still very hotly debated uh-huh. as far as you know whether you should mess with them. Yeah. But. Um, those are changes widely accepted in the Bugatti world. Do those us. do those things improve power or reliability or both or, or mainly reliability? Really? Yeah, because the the straight eight firing order by Bugatti's own admission after the fact wasn't ideal. I mean, on the later cars, he changed the firing order. Oh, he did. Okay, it wasn't a conventional straight eight order. I mean, you, you look at any of the straight eight engines that came into their own in the early thirties. Uh-huh. That firing order was not used in the in the type. So did his later cars use the ones that all the other yeah. ones? Does it give it a really bizarre sound or anything, or is it? It, it just evens it out. Oh, the okay. engine's a lot less jumpy. It runs a lot more smoothly. You have okay. a lot less wear and tear on it. But the roller bearing crank is pressed together in a bunch of pieces around the bearings. Okay. Super heavy, and it was basically the 
the momentum of that turning, among other things, that helped the original firing order work out. Oh, okay. Now, so if you change the firing order, you can put like a more normal crank in it too? Yeah, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. If you want to put a plane bearing crank in it but keep the original firing order, it's even harder to keep yeah, it yeah. running without yeah. beating itself up. Huh. So do most people uh, take the new firing order at this point? Not only that, but a lot of people with original Bugattis have converted cranks from us huh. to, to convert them. Because I guess they, once they blow up their motor, well, right. what are you going to do? Yeah, and it's hilarious if you watch a lot of these these Bugatti nerd chat boards. You know, all these guys are like Was really six people on this message yeah. board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Bugatti chat board. Yeah. Isn't that luxury foreplay? <laughs> well, it's all ran by assistants of the people that own the cars. Yeah. Mr. Paulson well, says, like, "Well, Mr. Stevens says." Yeah, the irony is those guys who have all the strong opinions about this kind of thing are the guys that actually don't have the cars in most cases. That's so not surprising funny. at all. And the guys who have the, the people cars, who have the cars are just like, "Yeah, man, it's cool." Whatever. Like, what we respond to the internet at large. Not yeah. a thousand horsepower? Gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guys that have the cars are like, whoa, you figured out a, a way to make these things less of a pain in the ass? That's awesome. Great. Sign now I can up. drive it and not... and not. So does did Faisal's car have the new firing order? Yes. And, oh, okay. Right. Which is why it, it worked properly all day. Yeah. That thing ran, got run real hard and on, on a hot day. First time and, it had really been driven hard. And then you guys... I saw pictures on Instagram. You guys took it to Bahrain, to the circuit, or what circuit did you take it to? To the F1 track. That's it, The pictures of this fucking thing with two guys That's in cool. t-shirts and modern helmets ripping this thing down on a modern F1 track. The pictures are like, blow your mind. That's it's really cool. bizarre, yeah. That was, it was hilarious. We were uh, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and then Jeddah. And the Crown Prince of Bahrain um, sent an invitation to Faisal where he invited Faisal. This is, this is a whole other fucking world with these guys, <laughs> by the way. This is not normal This people. is like their version of a barbecue on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. This is some next level <laughs> shit that goes on. Yeah, oh, it was crazy. Yeah, about a dozen Saudi princes uh, showed up. And the track, it, it was the evening by the time we got there. on a, I think it was, it was a Thursday or a Friday. Yeah. The track, I mean, there wasn't a light bulb that wasn't on. Yeah. All the personnel, all the staff were there like it was a race. <laughs> Not a single soul in the stands. Yeah, it's amazing. And it was the Bugatti and, I don't know, like another 10 cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the princes from Bahrain took uh, an F1 McLaren. Bitchin'. So Faisal was out doing laps in the Bugatti with an F1. That's awesome. On the track at, at the same time. That's and, just that's uh, th these guys are in another universe over there, man. Crazy. But they held up to the track pretty good. The car. Yeah, it did great. Um, the only thing is that that track eats tires. So really, we did. I don't. Know. Is it because of the the surface or just because of the way it's laid out? No, it's the surface of the track. It's really sticky. Yeah, yeah. And you guys so, run like Falcons or Pats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we make the tires actually. So. That's right, like fucking rubber band model. Or yeah, what is it? What does a set of rubber go for for that thing? Uh, the ones that we make. Yeah, I mean, we for our clients, we don't even charge for tires. Oh, it's really? Just, nice. You know, once you're in the door, it's when you're oh yeah, nice. It's like getting into Harvard. Have you? So, like once you get to you get into Harvard and you get there, like I'm here for class. You're like class. You don't go to class. You get in and then you just leave with a diploma that says Harvard. Like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys? Are you guys still making bias ply or did you make? Are you making radials now? Uh, we are making homemade shitty tires. <laughs> However, they made them back in the day. Is it? It's Correct. the pro the same process they used to make them. Yeah, and actually, this was another kind of funny, ironic slash dangerous thing about the whole Dubai run, is that the car gets sent over in November, and I'm like, now Faisal, 
you need to put good tires on it. Call Blockly, call Coker, wherever. Get racing tires because this is homemade shit that we make. Yeah. And we make them because you can't import anything in Argentina. This is like a really big point of the story and why our company is the way it is. Import is illegal, period. Anything. No exception. Really? So Anything? We want to bring in good tires like Blockley's. Well, you yeah, can't yeah. do that. So wow. we had to figure out how to make our own tires, and they work okay. They're safe. Yeah, yeah. They're not necessarily... You know, perfectly. No, they're for cruising. For they're <laughs> <laughs> they look good in your museum. In your museum at home. Yeah, it gets the thing in the shipping container and out of the shipping yeah, yeah, container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like before the car arrives, Faisal, you need to get a good set of tires. I'll send them to you. Whatever. I I, I don't think we need different. Tires. I wish I knew this before I fucking. And, before and right, so, you know, <laughs> right, and I have no. You know, and had I known we were going to do this drive, yeah, yeah. a lot of things would you would have insisted on the tires. But now all of a sudden we're in Dubai, and oh, tomorrow we're going to drive this thing out someplace. Still don't really know what we're in for, but you know, he said the gas station's right around the corner. It took it two hours to get there. Yeah, so that was my first my first tip off. Yeah, well, Dubai is. For a place that's so associated with cars, for the most part, it's an utter shit place to drive, isn't it? Oh, well, in all the towns with the yeah. roundabouts with families of six on a motorcycle. <laughs> shit like that. So, uh, so I, we didn't get good tires. We didn't get good tires. And the tires, tires we got launched on. That's they, amazing. Yeah. But by the time we got to Bahrain and doing 12 laps on that thing, I mean, it was shredding tires on the McLarens. I mean, 12 right. laps on an F1 circuit. At, I assume at speed, given it's you and Faisal, I, I imagine the car didn't really get saved oh, I, much. I, I got to show you some of the good photos. I it's mean, just mental. At, at speed, we were taking some turns on two wheels. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean these guys beat the shit out of these cars. Awesome. Like it's, it's pretty, really it's pretty serious. I've seen in person, like both him and Faisal, caning the fuck out of that car. Like no, no joke. I wish Thaddeus was here to back me up on this because he probably <laughs> won't believe me. But he was there. Like, who is this fucking guy? I believe you. That is like Sterling. Mar Bossing the fuck out of this 1923. <laughs> the whole but time 12 knowing. laps on, a, on an F1 circuit, I mean, there's a lot of modern cars that would overheat after 12 laps on a circuit or cook the brakes or whatever. I was so proud of the car. I mean, just the Dubai thing. When we got back to Phil's house, yeah, yeah. the first thing I did is I took the radiator cap off and I was thinking, this thing's going to be empty. Yeah. It for sure, it boiled over or whatever. It full? was full to the brim, not a drop. Was well, you had a 190K of air going over it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was right. nice. What's the what is the the biggest challenge with? I mean, is it getting it getting it perfect to spec, or is it is it making a certain part that's impossible to make? I mean, by today's standards, this is a pretty simple car still, so it's not all that complicated to make them. Uh, you know, the the challenge. I don't know if I would call it a challenge, but the heart of the production method that we have is very organic and very relational because you know of our hundred guys on the shop floor. Each one of them is an is, is really an artist, and not in the the stupid foo foo way that you know yeah. resto shops here. Everybody's a, a debutante, everybody's a prima donna artiste. You know they take themselves too seriously. These guys don't know that they're artists, but they are. And you know you've just got to give each guy space to do his thing, and yet no, at the same time know how to step back and and keep it all together. Um, you know, so keeping timelines of projects going, uh, being really, you know, involved with these guys on the shop floor, you know, when I'm down at the factory, I'm, I'm probably on the shop floor two to three hours a day and, you know, they, they want to talk about what they're going through and, you know, well, I encountered this thing and now I got to fix that. 
And so you stay on top of that. Um, the, the challenge with that comes in when you're dealing with a client who doesn't know what the hell any of this is, and he yeah, thinks yeah. he's buying a new Ferrari. Yeah. And I'm talking to the guy, and I'm saying, well, a piece of Babbitt that was left over in the radiator from when it was hand-built um, you know, got into the water pump and, and it busted it on the first test drive. And so now that we flushed it out, we're going to do it again. But now your, your car is going to be a week late. Now, for the guys that get this stuff, they're like, okay, I whatever. can't believe you built that in two months. You take as much time as you need. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then for some of these guys, you know, they, they just don't. Is that the, is it two months is the, the basic production schedule? Uh, for any of the Grand Prix Bugattis, we need, I'd say, five weeks to build a car start to That's finish. unbelievable. That's for the record, my Mustang, which is still a Mustang, <laughs> is going on ten months right now. You your, your hand-making body panels, English wheel. Yes. Mean, what about, like, engine components, like valves and stuff? Are you hand-making or, you know, yes. like, how do you form that kind of stuff? Well, we have our own foundry. Um, we we pour metal twice a week. We have our own pattern makers. Um, you know, so your own engine all, castings as well. We do our, our own engine casting. Wow. For yeah. the Grand Prix Bugatti engines, is really hard because the you know if you saw the block on Faisal's engine, it's this little tiny nail. Yeah, yeah, thing. it's really small. Yeah, so you've you've got to have room in there for cylinders, water passageways, uh, lubrication lines. You know, bolt holes, all that kind of stuff, and the clearance. It's a, that's is on a two point three liter straight eight. Is that right? Two point three by block. Yeah, straight eight. It's it's really small, actually. Yeah. It's a really small little engine. Must be tiny. Yeah, and and as far as casting goes, I mean, it's really intricate. It's a really hard casting to do, and it's cast iron. Yeah. So um, that that took a while to get perfected, but now you know it's set up and and we can crank them out. But you know, when when that first started, I mean, gosh, we've got a pile of like. You know all kinds of blocks that weren't quite right. I mean, we really? Just, like, oh, what a sweet coffee table! <laughs> but I'd be no willing. joke. That's a bitchin' coffee. Can I buy one? Well, I don't know about a coffee table. I mean, they're only like you know the size of a. Oh, well, maybe it's like a bookend. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. use them to keep doors open. You yeah. know, we- <laughs> I'm imagining though. I mean, with the advent of all the modern tech and knowledge that you have now, the motors that you're producing, regardless of the challenges of having to reproduce them without much direction, it probably still a far more you know, reliable and better quality controlled product than the originals. That's a good question. Or do you build in breakdowns because people want the authentic <laughs> experience? No, I mean, we, beyond the roller bearing crank option and the modified firing order, we're not changing anything. So the only thing you could say that's different is in the metallurgy when it comes to yeah. the aluminum castings, we're using good aluminum. Good, and better not, quality aluminum. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like back in the day, they might as well have made these cars out of warm butter. For yeah, yeah, yeah. The alloy and was you guys like, probably but, have the, a nice CNC set up to actually get all the decks even and that stuff versus having to have done that by hand before. Yeah, the only departure that's from the, the period correct kind of work is with the machine work which is cnc because you, you don't you don't lose anything yeah. i mean whether a guy's turning the the spindle on a lathe by hand or whether it's computer programmed that has zero impact on the end product and it'd be ridiculous if you ignored that anyway. right so, so the alloy wheel on a type 35 on the uh manual lathe took 11 hours for one wheel to machine <laughs> and on the cnc setup it's one hour yeah so. I mean, how do you not? In the end, they look identical. Yeah, they're they're identical. That's yeah. the thing. Now, other things, you know, like oh well, we could have body panels that are stamped out with a giant die in a machine. Well, then you lose some of the yeah, yeah. human touch to the whole mm-hmm. thing, and we don't do that. So we don't compromise on the important stuff. Yeah. But you also have modern electrics too, which is, I'm sure, a huge improvement. But you don't, do you? Modern electrics. Do you use any like, any modern electronics at all? Uh, on the cars themselves? Yeah. No, no, not really. I mean, no, because I saw like, your I saw your ignition system was like 
old. <laughs> it was old, old, fucking old looking. No, I'll, I'll tell you. Jaguars. On on the uh, the Bugattis, the only thing we do, the Grand Prix cars originally would have had a battery for the lights and the starter motor if they had a starter, and there was no alternator, so the battery wasn't charging. So you ran until it, it ran out of juice. Oh, really? One okay. of our options. I guess on a Grand Prix car, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, because by the time Cause by the, you just put a new battery into the next race or whatever. Exactly, and yeah. they were running on magnetos, so I mean, yeah. as soon as it's running, you're good. But um, what we do as an option is we put a pulley on the carton shaft, the drive shaft under the seat, and we run an alternator hidden under the seat. Oh, okay. So that when the car is moving, it's charging. Oh, all right, that works. The cool thing is, is that when you open the engine compartment, you don't see anything. Yeah, if if there was an alternator sitting in there, it would look fucking retarded. Really ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the drive shaft goes right through the middle of the cockpit. It's not like. Is it covered at all? Yeah, kind of, but not really. I mean, (laughs) the part where there's the pulley and the battery and the alternator, that's all literally under the seat, and you can't see it. So it's it's one of these things like, you know, you're not changing the spirit of the car. And I'll tell you, it's a lot more of a clean setup than even a lot of the original cars I see where guys, you know, I mean, let's face it, by the time a guy has one of these cars and he's actually using it, He's doing stuff like this. Yeah, so yeah. I see all kinds of jerry-rigged things on these on the original original cars with yeah. an alternator in the engine compartment and yeah. nonsense like that. But does you does anyone is there anyone left that drives the originals still? Well, it's kind of a loaded question because I'm um you probably know all of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a lot <laughs> less hopeful about how many originals exist than maybe Just because they got smashed up and rebuilt and whatever and who knows what happened in the last 90 years or because people yeah. are trying to pass off no, I call it the scrap metal theorem, which applies to race cars in the sense that the more successful a race car is, the more likely it's going to be crashed and wadded up. Yeah, yeah. Catching on different fire engines and yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the engines in these things they weren't meant for you know long distance Colorado Grand kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They were meant to get you through a race season and then be rebuilt. You know the roller bearing cranks the reason we don't use them is that you've got to literally rebuild those after every season if you race the thing hard. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean are there original cars today? Yeah, I, I guess so, but at this point who you knows know, what's been Yeah, I mean it you know th- that's the thing that gets me about these auction descriptions. They say you know, they start talking about a car believed to have been. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So the story starts out as, well, this is a complete knockoff. And then a generation goes away. Yeah. And then it's now believed to have been. <laughs> yeah. And then another generation dies. This is the yeah, original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So who even knows? Is it? I mean, if that's the case, is it worth buying an original under any circumstance? Look, there are a few out there. They're cool cars. But by the time they're that intact, you've got so much history there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to go out and drive it on a racetrack and risk wadding it up. Yeah, you're buying, a, you're buying a museum that. piece or right. whatever. So it, it, with that being said, can you enter your cars in vintage races? Uh, a lot of them. A yeah. lot of them. Now, a lot of the higher-end vintage races are pretty picky, and so... Yeah, Pebble B, Monterey, Historics, it's like even if you've got a totally legit car, they, they might still it. even yeah. say no. Yeah, yeah. But I've got a, a whole bunch of um, different race clubs throughout the country that are always inviting us to attend, and you know the impetus for that is that they're thinking, we need to have these cars show up or else there won't be any pre-war cars out <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, so. That's how we look at what we're doing. Is it's a way to to keep this you know angle on motorsport alive. The, the guys who race these things have balls of fucking steel. I can't even imagine. I mean, that's the scariest thing. You you can just feel the one little piece of aluminum to your left. 
That's what's or, or you're right in that in certain cases. It's seatbelts either, right? It's just a seat. oh nothing. Yeah, it's it's nothing. Steering it's, wheel. That's your seatbelt. Yeah. Well, it's like the guys that race uh, like the Laguna Seca's, the Laguna Seca Rolex, whatever you want to call it, historics, and the guy that rides shotgun because he's mechanic because it's required. Yeah. Because of the rules, so you're required to have your mechanic because that's like period correct. Yeah. That's just a dude sitting on a bench hoping that the guy <laughs> hoping to the not car die drives yeah. it right, and you're going over the corkscrew in like the worst amusement park ride ever. Yeah. It's really scary. It's fucking so scary. So in addition to the Bugattis, what is your guys? What is the most popular uh, request? Do you will, you will you build anything by request? Yeah, we have two genres. We do um, you know things that we're regularly tooled up for that you know total about twenty different cars, and then we also do uh, a line of specials because you know I uh, just saw this on your website and it must be some kind of special. When I went outside, I I had to this fucking thing. What is this? Because this is that is the coolest looking thing. I was, look at this thing he, these guys built. How sweet it looks like Ooh. some meaty ass pre war hot rod thing. So much sidewall. It's oh. like a Cruella Deville fucking. It's got a little Captain Morgan Nemo in it. There's some Morgan and a little Bill Thomas cheetah in there. The guy who Cruella Deville fucks on the side. Yeah, he yeah. This car. So what is what is this thing? <laughs> it's a V16. Cadillac engine, cool. sick, in a car that we custom designed for a client, and you know, within this genre of custom cars, a guy says, "Hey, I want something cool like they would have done yeah. back in the day." Totally built around me, and we uh, sit down with our designer and we we sketch out something. Because really everything unique. was coach built in you the twenties and thirties. That's the classy version of the car in Inglewood here, priapism. No, that no, that's, it is. That's it's, some bullshit. That thing. Sixteen cylinders. Both have that same. I mean, this one here is hot rod rough. Yeah, there's a, there's but a, that's a nice, yeah, nice a version of it. This is uh oh, Thaddeus. Thaddeus has arrived. Hello. Yeah, he's dropping off gear. Right, no, so so this is a coach built with a, with uh. Does the the chassis period and the engine period are they all aligned? So yeah. is this something someone could have built back then? That's exactly. We call it like a retro. A retrospective or a um, a vintage take on a supercar or a prototype. Yeah. So it's something that we're not replicating, but we're replicating a genre. Right, right, right. So we've done, you know, this is more of the Art Deco kind of stuff with it's a giant badass. engine in it. We've done a lot of aero engine cars, um, like all know. the like those old like twenty liter yeah. crazy. Did did you do uh, Leno's uh, Fiat? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Sixteen. You liter. did a couple of cars for Jay, right? Yeah, he's got a couple of our Bugattis, and he's got that giant aero engine Fiat. Yeah. Did you uh, remember that thing? It's it's like the size of like a giant tractor. And it has like a twenty-something liter airplane engine in it, and it's oh, chain yeah, drive yeah, yeah. or chain belt drive. drive. Chain drive. Yeah, I saw him on the snake with that thing. <laughs> Leno's a—he's a maniac too. I saw him on the fucking snake with this thing, and it's like driving a semi truck. What do you, you know, call it? Uh, well, that one is called the Botafogo, but it's basically a take on the Fiat Mephistopheles, which was a period car. That's in the Fiat Museum now, and a, that was a one of one car, that right? Was a one on one that's super famous now. We found the same exact engine that's in the Mephistopheles. We built this car. It turned out, I think, way better than the original. Mephi yeah. As far as looks, we get the thing done. We get a call wow. from Fiat. I'm thinking, oh shit. Uh oh, we're about to be in trouble. I've seen that? Yeah. They ask us if we can take the car to Italy 
and if they can borrow it and put it in their factory museum, okay, I think it's so cool. So I went there for a while. Oh, sweet, Jay, that's awesome. We got the, you got the picture still yeah, up. I haven't really I haven't cool. seen it in a while. It's badass. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, it looks funny. like a, a sleeker version of that one they tested on Top Gear. That was built that was the, the blood. Bl- bl- uh, oh, the Brutus. The Brutus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a much smoother. Refined Brutus, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I know the Brutus. This thing runs a bit better. The Brutus has those exposed valves. There's no valve covers. Well, they're, is... they're like little hatches you can open. Yeah, yeah, it does have exposed valves. Yeah. This one has exposed valves, Oh, it does too. as well? But on the exhaust on the Brutus, it's cool because you can open the little hatches. Yeah, and they and just shoot fire everywhere. Sprays fire <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's badass. So is there anything you guys won't do? Do you no. turn people down ever? No, not really. I mean, unless, you know, if somebody's a... Obvious douchebag. No, no, know, but, but it's but know. but but are, but all requests are welcome when it comes to building things. Oh yeah, you know, right now we're building a car for a client, which is a special build with a 1909 Nicola Romeo aircraft engine in it. I have no idea what that so is. Is that company. the Romeo from Alpha Romeo? Yeah. Okay. Nicola Romeo was the founder, and the company was a very short-lived company before Alpha was was formed. Uh, Nicola, and he built World War One bomber engines. Okay. We found this engine. It's the only one of its kind in the world. And where does where does one find an engine? Long story, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's another podcast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we designed this car around it. It's going to be vaguely reminiscent of Barney Oldfield's Golden Submarine. Oh, I remember that Just thing vaguely, yeah. but it's going to be very aircraft inspired, but World War One aircraft. So the body's made out of fabric. You know, oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's OG. Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, Do you ever um, meet Randy Grubb, Blastoline? Oh man, he does those the tank engine cars and stuff like that. Yeah, he did the. Is, did he build the one that Jay has? He, he built the one that okay. Jay has, and then Gail Banks added yeah. turbos to it. Yeah. But and he's built a couple. He's probably built five or six he, he equally built giant. Yes, pissed yeah. off Pete the semi truck. That yeah. he he. I feel like you guys would get along. He's cool. He's 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 in another world. But uh, but you know, madness of uh, these kind of builds. Who's who's the other builder that um he built like the similar to this Corella Deville thing we're talking about the Mephistopheles. Uh, he built a silver airplane themed car that was like a one off roaster. Uh, East Coast. Was it like gigantic? It was pretty big, but I mean, it was just that same. Hand rolled fenders, hand rolled hood, hand like, completely ground up. I don't know, I can't remember. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of a few of those. I don't know. Uh, this is you know near that kind of Randy Grubb quality level. Yeah, I can't of, remember. Like, I'll, you have an idea, I'm gonna make it from zero. We gotta put no, these guys. Cool. We gotta have like a panel of them, like you guys, Randy Grubb, Ring Brothers, Icon, and then uh, the dude that runs Singer. Yeah, see what comes out of yeah. oh, Robin Maz. Yeah, yeah, see what comes out of that. Yeah, get some alcohol involved. We might hurt the world. Oh, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the newest you guys go? Um, 50s? Yeah, we're doing Maserati A6 GCS. Oh, those are those are nice. So that's the most modern car we're doing, a BMW 328 also right now. That's the, the one that almost looks like the Jag XK120, like that yeah. 328? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a, re- a real one of those is big money right now, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I couldn't tell you because I'm a little off the radar with stuff that new. But yeah. We've just finished our first 328. Um, we built a 507 before. 507s are sweet. I don't like how they drive, but I think they're really cool. Yeah. Do they drive funky? Yeah. yeah Why I is mean, that? I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> something's for, off for for the money they're bringing. I mean, you get in a Gullwing and you yeah, drive yeah, it, yeah. you're like, I get it. You get yeah, in a yeah. 507 and it's like, all right, who decided this is worth a million dollars? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rarity, I guess. Rarity. I don't know. Email over that. I, f- I find <laughs> that cars tend to be uh, tend to become very valuable once people forget how shitty they drive. Right. 
Uh, the testarossa on its way up is a good indicator of that. <laughs> uh, what is... Uh, oh, shit, I just blanked. Just fucking blanked. I don't know. How did you get into this? How did, how did you personally... I've loved cars my whole life, and I'm fortunate to have been brought up in a car family. Oh, that's where I wanted to ask you about, was your grandfather's Model T, which you told me about in Dubai. So tell me about your grandfather and his Model Ts, because it's a really neat story. Bought it new in downtown L.A., in 1923, and uh, now it's mine, so I'm the second owner. It's never been restored. I was driving it around last night, actually. It runs great. Really? Yeah. But you wow. said it was period modified. A lot of guys would modify mm -hmm. their Model Ts back in the day, and his grandfather modified the Model T, like, in period. Yeah, you, you almost had to, <clears throat> because Henry Ford's principle was keep them cheap, so keep them simple. Borderline shitty. So they didn't have outside brakes. You only had brakes with a, a linen band around the transmission drum. You didn't that have shit a, is hood. You didn't have a, <laughs> a no water dirt. pump. Yeah, that's. Um, so, you know, it created a multi million dollar industry in the day where you could buy a high compression head, an overhead valve head. Well, now you have more horsepower, so you better put brakes on it. So outside brakes. Well, now you have more heat, so you better put a water pump on it. So the guys start making water pumps. And this whole thing evolves to the point where you buy this car for like under 500 bucks and you throw another couple hundred bucks in it and you got something that is kind of in the league of a Mercer as far as what it'll do. Yeah. I believe right. that's how they actually got to the Fox body, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, what do you say it does, like 75 miles an hour or something? That, that's that's his claim. That's what he did. And I've been driving the thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm good at 50. No way. Yeah. yeah. A guy tried to tell me yesterday that he, did a, that he got busted doing 180 in an Integra. It's like okay, it was Kilometers. a long. It's a long story. I was filming one takes yesterday, and I was driving this turbo Miata, and I absolutely grenaded the diff to high heaven. Not it wasn't my fault. He was like he, you know, I I film fans' cars, huh. and he and I I go to get in his car, and he's like, listen, I don't know the the tranny or something is it it just started making a really weird noise. He's like, so we can oh. film it, but like try to ignore it. I got two miles, and it went. Boom! And it blew a fucking hole in the bottom of the diff housing. Holy wow. shit! Yeah, yeah, it broke the, broke the shit out of it. No <laughs> it was fucked. No matter where we go, something. It was fucked, no and so uh, and so we happened to we pushed it into this guy's like driveway or whatever, and he was there, and I asked him to give me a ride back up the hill to get my car, you know, so I I wasn't stranded there, and this guy's giving me a ride up the hill, and he's asking what I do, and I tell him, and he's like. Look at the October 07 issue of Honda Tuner. I was on the cover, but then I went to prison because I got caught doing 180 in an Integra. And he said I could I didn't have a license for like six years. Well, if it was on the cover of a magazine, it was probably built. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like stock or yeah, something. Yeah, oh, that's I what I was like. I'm not sure. For like 130? I don't know, but he said he did 180 in Integra. So I was like, well, you have, are braver than I am. And that's slippery shape. Yeah, <laughs> that, that fast in a Model T seventy-five. Yeah, seventy-five in a Model T. Fuck that. Jeez, that's cool that they used to modify it though. It's it's kind of like back in the day, like you buy a house and then they come out with a washer and then you put the washer in. Like you can kind of make it your own thing. Well, that was that the first aftermarket, really. It was the first aftermarket. It was a birth of the hot rod culture and the birth of probably a few brands that we still mm -hmm. like. Who who was making? Who made the parts for that kind of stuff? Is anyone that's still around? You know, that's a good question. If any of those guys were around back then, I think that the the names we know well today probably came out. A bit later, the maybe, 30s maybe and 40s, 30s. Craig yeah. and like Offie and Edelbrock exactly. and and uh, 
But you know who did the fuck? Who the tire Dun? Uh, not Dunlop, but um. APC. Yeah, I guess Dunlop. <laughs> In the late teens, you had I mean engine. dozens, yeah. if not if not you know hundreds of companies that were making engine heads, brakes, water pumps. I mean, there were like fifty different kinds of water pumps you could get for a Model T. In really. And uh, Henry Ford was just stubborn and wanted nothing to do with changing anything. And he let all these other guys make the money. But it's cool because it created a culture of, of modifying making your cars. car your own. Yeah, in yeah. The process. Yeah. How is um? Do you guys sell any cars in South America, or where do you primarily sell cars to? Europe and America? Or? Uh, the United States is primary. France used to be a big one, but you know they don't have money anymore, so <laughs> that's kind of stopped. And uh, that goes for the rest of Europe so, too. Yeah, yeah. Italy is not a, not huge right now. Anyway. When it comes to selling cars in the U.S., how does that work? Because they're not technically old cars. Right. So what what, what would one register one as? Is, yeah. I think he's trying to say. Uh, that's really the owner's domain. We got nothing to do with that's that. a that's a YP, not an MP. That's, well, uh, you can. I mean, I'm sure you can register if something is old enough. They they really don't give a fuck. Yeah. If you're trying to register something that's 80 years old or appears to be 80 years old, I, I don't. I'll uh, tell you what my job is. That is to make these cars. <laughs> and when I tell guys that start asking me all these questions about registration, I say, you know what we're good at? We're good at making cars. And that's yeah. a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. So before I need to become a fucking paralegal to solve your problems, why don't you go figure it out? Yeah. I guess but, they got uh, enough money yeah. that they can have their lawyer handle Dude, it. Because every yeah. state is totally different. You know, and in all and fairness, every state, every country, you could probably oh, yeah. drive that thing down the street with no plate on it, and, so, and no, no one's even going to look at you. Probably, yeah. Whatever. Maybe guys are going to race them. Yeah, if they're only going to race them. Then yeah, you don't have yeah. To worry about plates. Stick it in a museum or whatever. Oh, now, does anyone buy break. the car, buy cars from you just to stick them in a museum, or do they figure, look, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get this new old one made, I might as well drive it. Yeah, I mean, the guys buying these, you know, first of all, I'd say 70% of our clientele have the original or a variation oh, really? thereof. And they're buying this as their costume jewelry. To yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, That's nice. Well put. So, yeah. so they, they, yeah, they're getting used. Um, I've had guys that contact me that want them for museums, but, you know, they're usually kind of B-level museums. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, like a Mullen kind of guy. He's got the original historic race winning cars. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't need one of ours. But, um, you know, there are these guys that fancy themselves as, you know, sort of collectors and they want one of everything. And that's cool. I get it. You know, if you have, you know, every pre-war hit already and you have a showroom to impress your buddies while you drink beer, then throw a Bugatti in there and you round it out. Yeah. Um, so you get that sometimes. But mainly... <clears throat> Yeah, ties a room together like a good rug. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mainly, these guys want to have these cars to use, and that's really that's, what they're. That's good, though, doing. isn't it? I mean, I guess yeah. you learn a lot more about how they hold up when people put miles. What's the most like miles you've heard of someone putting on one? Oh, well, I mean, Jay drives the hell out of his cars. His is the black one, right? He's got a black one. A black one. Uh, he's got a black Type Forty Three and a navy blue Type Thirty Five, like Faisal. Does he have? Does he have any of uh, original ones, or does he have? Oh, R- yeah, he's he, got. He's got. Half a dozen original. Oh, does he guys. also? Yeah, oh. he's, he's got Pierre Veyron's original. Well, Grand and he's Prix and he's got a uh, uh, Atlantic as well. Yeah, not 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 entire, not technic, not exactly there as far as original. Oh, really? Yeah, I know his is an S, not an SC, but it's is not. No, no. Okay. It's got an LS in it. So that's it's got an LS motor. In it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's real. I mean, it's the kind of. Reproduction like we would get behind, we oh, okay. would do, but it, it, I, I don't. I'm pretty sure that car didn't come out of Molsheim. Really interesting. Yeah. I have been in Ralph's Atlantic at once for about ten minutes. It was weird and cool and gorgeous. 
Yeah, they think that's real. Really cool cars. That's pretty, definitely pretty real. sure that one's definitely real. real. Ralph doesn't really fuck around with that kind of stuff. He's a he's a spare no expense kind of guy. Yeah, I think that's a gorgeous car, and I think you know, justifiably, a lot of guys that see those cars, they're like, "That's the coolest Bugatti ever made." It, it looks like the f- it, coolest it, it fucking looks, car ever made. It looks like the coolest car ever made. Yeah, you can tell who drives cars versus who looks at cars in pinup ads. Because the guys that say the Atlantic's the best car ever has never has never driven a Bugatti, I don't think. Because it does because it drives like shit. Well, the Type 57s are cool cars, but I mean they're on a completely different chassis and drivetrain as the Grand Prix cars. So I mean, like for me, I drive Grand Prix cars, and I know exactly what those are like, and they're awesome. And I get in a Type 57, and I feel like I'm I'm driving a barge. Yeah. So I mean, that I'm makes not, uh, that makes sense. The I 57. Mean, I mean, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I, mean, I wouldn't even want to drive one of those. I would stare at it and drink beer. That's my, that or you was, could do that. Yeah, yeah, I would do that. It was like sitting in a hoodie. You couldn't see shit out of that car. I'd be terrified to drive it. Especially First time I drove a Type 57, I was in New England. And I'm like, okay, I'm, yeah, Bugatti. Right? I've driven Bugattis. And I'm driving this thing. And we get to this like mild curve in the road. And Bugatti instinct is on. And so I'm not slowing down. <laughs> and I'm taking the curve. And this thing starts, you know, I mean, oh, all shit. kinds of weird shit starts happening. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it, car. All right, I we're going, it. we're going to yeah. go slow now. Yeah. <laughs> what other, what is the, what's the, of, of those, because I've never driven any, I drove a Model A once. That's the oldest car ever. It was like a 28 or something like that. That's the oldest car I've ever driven. Are there, what of these old cars, like, are just really nice to drive? You mean like stuff we build or anything? No, I mean anything, just in general. I mean like who who of of because you have a huge uh, ex- experience with these really old cars. So like, what was the nicest thing to drive in 1925? Oh man, I mean um, Packard, Rolls Royce, yeah, Mercer. Um, have you driven a raceabout, a Mercer raceabout? Yeah. Are they cool? It seems like you're just driving a sled, really. Yeah, they're cool. I mean, it's like. Um, you got you know you got the wire wheels. Yeah. You kind of have s- suspension, I guess. Ish. I mean, they, they, they almost... The video I've seen of those cars, people getting slammed around and when they're driving those things. Yeah, I mean, I think they corner better. I mean, I use the term corner in a very vague <laughs> term here, but they um, they get around turns better than a lot of cars from the day. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cool. I mean, if you take, you know, the the full range of four lunger T head engines from the day. Uh, chain drive or not chain drive, but the basic setup where you've got a couple of buckets and you've got a T-head engine that's way high up yeah. on the chassis and all that kind of stuff. If you put a Mercer next to all the rest of those, it's pretty cool. Yeah. If you put it next to, like, you know, a real car, eh. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much how much car, how much... Ooh, thank you, Thaddeus. We have beer. How What, what kind of car... Would it would it require today, like the minimum amount of car, to beat that Bugatti around that Formula One circuit? Like, could I do it with our Fiesta? Could a Fiesta ST beat that Bugatti around a Formula One circuit today, you think? I don't know. Would you need a Mustang? I don't know what you need. I don't know. I, I, I drove a... We should figure this out. We should learn this. Like, what what is the minimum that's car it. you It'll need? Be my stock to, Fiesta yeah, the t- to beat a, a, a 90-year-old Grand Prix car. <laughs> I drove an E-Class Mercedes over here today, and it's funny, you know, as I'm taking on-ramps and stuff, I'm always thinking, you know, what would this be like in, you know, yeah. fill in the blank? And um, I don't think that the the Mercedes would hold up on the track as far really? as taking turns the way the Bugatti did. Because wow. the Bugatti is it's like 400 kilograms, right? It's Holy stupid. It's shit. so fucking light. It's really light, and the thing wears the road like a glove. It sticks to it. 
just eats the turns. You don't have to slow down. It's amazing. It's I mean, really it's, it was like, really wild. I'd get going around corners with this, in, the, in this thing with Faisal, and I was I was going. He needs to be slowing down here, and he kind of wasn't. It's four hundred. It it's four hundred kilograms. Yeah, I mean, well, no, that how much is that? Eight hundred pounds. Four hundred kilograms is a thousand pounds. Yeah, so it's like twelve hundred. So That's more insanely light. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, the cornering speed, even the 100, tires. 140, 150 horsepower. Whoa! Supercharged. So it's, it's like a Miata. You yeah, take half fucking, the weight it's off. It's fucking fast. That's yeah, super, it's fast. Yeah. Crazy. Holy yeah. shit! No, those cars are, I think, fifty years ahead of their time as far as stuff he did to them to handle to make them handle well. You know, the front axle that you saw—that's actually a hollow forging, so that the the weight on the unsuspended part of the chassis would huh. be reduced. Normally, would that be a solid bar? Yeah. I mean, who the hell's going to... I mean, it was like talking 1925. Guys yeah, are yeah. making this stuff in horse stables. You know, <laughs> yeah. he figures out how to... You know, how the hell do you forge a hollow axle? I mean, crazy shit like that. That's amazing. Um, you know, how do you forge a hollow axle by hand? Uh, you basically... You start as though you were forging a tube, uh-huh. and then you've got to crimp it over on the ends, but where you crimp it's the part where it where it goes down for the... You know, where, where the spindles go on, so... It's crazy. It takes about three guys to forge one of those in a coal forge. That's it's, crazy. It's like a dance because you got the guy in the middle doing stuff and the guys on the end. Yeah, yeah. Have to switch. It's, it's, is that it's what's nuts. the most complicated part that you guys traditionally have to make? Where just, um, is there a part that still it's like every time you have to make one, it's a pain in the ass? Yeah, Axel's up there. Uh, I'd say, though, I mean, just right off the top of my head when you said that, I was thinking radiator. Really? Because the radiator is... Um, you know, the car takes five weeks to build. The radiator takes five weeks to build. Really? Why is that? Uh, well, you know, hand cutting. I mean, obviously, all those you tubes. can't buy one off the shelf, but each one of the tubes is flared by hand on the end, so oh. that the OD is, you know, on, on the last three quarters of an inch of the tube, the OD is, you know, sixteenth of an inch bigger than the the rest of it. So you have room, you know, and the difference there for the water to get through each, you know, then all the tubes go into a big jig that holds them together, like in a vice kind of thing. And that each one of them has to be soldered by. Is that one guy who makes radiators? One guy. And then the the outside of it, you know, it's all done in German silver. It's not brass. Oh, really? And so, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, it's not that it's hard work. It's just labor intensive. The front axle is hard work. So if someone, if someone blows a radiator, they're, they're waiting. Yeah. Well, one. I mean, I, I I blow a radiator in my Mercedes, and I'm waiting for yeah, yeah, yeah. five weeks. I mean, it's like I, I <laughs> when I when I started working with Persang, I used to be really insecure about the turnaround times, mm-hmm. and then I started getting stuff for other projects from other suppliers. And you go, it's still like, it's the oh, same. Oh, so everyone in the car business is basically an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> yeah. I oh, mean, you need a radiator cap. Yeah, that'll be a year. You're yeah. Welcome. I'm getting a gauge cluster made for my Mustang that's five weeks turnaround time. Like, for some gauges. Like, that's it. For a fucking Mustang. Yeah. For a car that is the most, it's the closest that actual cars come to Legos. You know? <laughs> and every, and every oh, not everything that's supposed to be bolt-on is not bolt on everything that's direct fit is not direct fit it's fucking ridiculous so uh we're at 53 minutes oh is it time for a break yes it oh is. It's, it's my uh yeah actually it's it, your radar it's, was off my radar was going off anyway we'll take a break we got a bunch of questions off facebook for john and uh we also we're gonna we're gonna talk about um some modern tuner cars we've been doing as well you know the modern tuner cars a little bit absolutely all right cool we'll talk about some horsepower shit later uh, let's talk about True Car. When you're ready to buy a car, True Car is changing car buying forever. Yes, True Car helps car buyers get rid of the fear that they might overpay. 
Everyday True Car users receive negotiation-free guaranteed savings, and True Car users save an average of $3,221 off of MSRP. When you're ready to buy a car, follow these three easy steps. First, download the True Car mobile app or go to TrueCar.com to find out what others paid for the car you want. Then register to see upfront pricing information and lock in your savings. Third step is simple. Take your guaranteed savings certificate to the True Car certified dealer for a better hassle-free car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. With True Car, you can save time, save money, and never overpay. To see how much you can save on the car you want, simply download the True Car mobile app or visit TrueCar.com today. I imagine True Car doesn't apply to a Persang automobile. Unless you want to guarantee their savings certificate in Argentina. That would be sweet. Mm. Um, and yeah, let's talk about Wheelwell. Wheelwell is a new uh, automotive social network. Some people, like me, we use Facebook to talk about cars. But your friends, your cousins, your family members, your longtime high school reunion people, they might not want to see if you put an exhaust on your Subaru. That's what Wheelwell's for. It's to share your car with other car people. Actually, it's also good for organizing your own car. You can upload your receipts, your modifications, and keep track of it all. And then when you're ready to sell it, you can print out a complete vehicle history. Um, and also, you can make a profile at wheelwell.com and have your car selected for a smoking tire one take. That if you want to uh, get your car on our show, send me your Wheelwell profile, Matt at the smoking tire.com. And uh, yeah, Wheelwell's awesome, actually. I like it a lot. We've been doing some good stuff with them. Yeah, they, uh, they emailed me the other day. They're like, come on, you got to join in the smoking tire thing and put it up. Yeah, well, like, they, yeah, they're, making a, they're making like a smoking tire club page yeah. so that like we can have our cars and then also feature the cars that, uh, that I film with. And uh, how about Vegas? Everyone loves Vegas. It's exactly the opposite of Saudi. <laughs> uh, Vegas is springtime. Best time to go to Vegas because it's not death hot and it's not freezing cold. And Vegas.com is offering 10% off everything, excluding air to hotel packages. Vegas.com is the only way to book Vegas because everyone knows insiders get the best deals and these guys are inside. They live in Vegas, they work in Vegas, they party in Vegas, and they know the people that set the deals. They're going to share those deals with you. Vegas.com offers the best rates on not just hotels, but also headlining shows, tours, attractions, VIP bottle service, top clubs. You can go to Vegas.com right now, click on the microphone in the top right corner, and enter our code TIRE to receive an extra 10% off everything except air and hotel packages. That's Vegas.com. Click on the microphone and get your bonus 10% savings by using secret code TIRE. Book it today. I think Eddie Ift said he was going there soon, right? He's going to Vegas? Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to, Eddie Ift was a great guest last night. We're going to see him at the Improv tonight. It should be good fun. Who still plays Vegas is Don Rickles. And I want yeah. to see that. Hannah, Hannah wanted to take her whole family to Vegas to see Don Rickles. Like, my girlfriend, like, never lets a joke die, ever. So her, her entire relationship with her family is about inside jokes. And she wants to fly her whole family to Vegas to see Don Rickles because of a joke someone made, like, at Christmas eight years ago. So she's doing eight-year-old <laughs> callbacks yeah yeah she's 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 her whole family's crazy like that that's they like never forget funny, something she's not a billionaire but i imagine that's what like a billionaire would do for a burn you yeah, yeah. like remember that thing yeah Bam. yeah yeah she's the best gift giver ever and it's it really is you get hard. home you got a yellow mailbox you're like oh no it's a joke uh a dolphin because of the remember and if you uh, if you like video games, you like driving, you like racing simulators, you're going to want to check out Forza Horizon 2. Forza Motorsport and Forza Horizon 2 are proud sponsors of the Smoke Tire podcast. Their lex- latest Xbox title, Forza Horizon 2, is the highest rated racing game of the past year. 
Race through a massive open wide world featuring dramatic weather and day-to-night cycles. Instantly connect with friends in the ultimate celebration of speed, style, and action-packed driving. Explore beautiful and exotic locations in more than 200 of the world's greatest cars, all created with precise detail in stunning 1080p. To learn more, visit ForzaMotorsport.net, and if you use Xbox Live, friend us at TST Racing. And then, of course, the Fast and Furious uh, car pack is coming out for that real soon. Fast and Furious car pack! I'm yep. excited. No uh, Persang car pack, though. I bet you I wouldn't mind getting one. some vintage, some properly vintage uh Race cars in there. That'd be cool. I wouldn't mind rocking in Forza with a uh, with a Bugatti Type 35. That mm. could be cool as shit. I'm down for that life. Let's talk Let's about that. We should do it. We I we know the people. I can hook that up. Actually, hmm. seriously, we should. Should we hook that up? Yeah, absolutely. we should try and hook that up. That'd be fun. I bet we could get. I, I'm not even kidding. I bet you we could get a Persang car pack that has uh, that has the uh, your guys's cars in it. Could be cool. sweet. Let's we'll we'll hook it up with Dan Greenwald from Forza. I'll I will make a note. And also, while we're at break, uh, John said, "Would you have a, a, a Bugatti Type 55?" 55, yeah. Yeah, he said we could we could drive it, we could make a film with it. Yeah. So the 55, I know the 57, and I know the 35 and 43. What is the 55? The 55 was basically the first European sports car, so it has the. So not a not a race car, not a touring car, car for weekend fun. Definitely not a touring car, but it looks like a touring car, but it's much more like a Grand Prix car. Uh, it's got the twin cam Grand Prix engine, so yeah, it's classy, it's stylish. You got things like uh, fenders, headlights. <laughs> These are features. Yeah. Is it easy to drive? I mean, if I, I I can I can drive a manual gearbox. Can I drive this car? Yeah. Or do I have to? Is there is there a, a real learning curve to it? You should be able to figure it out. What it, what? Well, I don't want to figure it out on the fly. <laughs> Help me out here, man. What do I do? Let me see. Oh, you got a picture of it? Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, okay, well, I can definitely see some resemblance to the Grand Prix car, mm-hmm. but look at this. Look how nice that looks. Man, these guys did these guys did pontoon fenders right. I got to give props to Morgan for really sticking with the pontoon fenders. I drove a Morgan Aero Super Sports last year. It was fucking badass. It was yeah. like, it was like you looking over those fenders, it's like some great Gatsby shit. It's so dope. Really elegant. Really, really. I mean, you can you can stop traffic with one of these things. This is nice. So is this is this Type 55 fast? Uh, it is fast. You know, it's not Grand Prix fast, but yeah. it's way more than like touring fast. And it looks like it's reasonably comfortable, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm convinced that all cars made back then were made for an extinct species of people that <laughs> were like four feet tall and weighed seventy pounds. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I've never understood how. They're is called, that really how big people were? People that much smaller? I, I, they must have been smaller. They're I don't know smaller. what the deal was. Yeah, legitimately. Because I even, I mean, you know, I tried to drive like a, you know, like a pickup truck from the fifties, like a Chevy pick, and the steering wheel. Like I'm fat, okay? I'm fat. I get it. I'm <laughs> tall and I'm fat, but the steering wheel was like, like cutting my intestines in half. Like, could would, could people fit in that comfortably? Like that's fucking crazy to me. My my, my buddy had a '57 Chevy truck in high school with the original wheel. I the mean, giant steering. We were in high school, you know, it's really big. Yeah. It's like the size of a tire. Well, I mean, even, yeah. not even not even old cars, but look at up until pretty recently how much smaller the cockpits were in Italian cars. I mean, they oh, just yeah. weren't built. They're just built for that region, and people tend to be smaller there. 
I guess. Yeah. Fucking fat Americans are ruining. Well, well, not even just fat. The Chevy like truck, shorter. I don't understand, because Americans were still kind of fat in the 50s. Yeah. Well, but there, but people were shorter, like, decades ago. Yeah. Like, generations ago, people were legitimately shorter, smaller stature. Nutrition was a big thing, so, like, sizes were different. There's a lot of stuff. Will you guys do coach-built stuff if someone says, I, I need that's a car fat. I can fit in? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the, that's the fat package. Yeah. Oh, you have you offer a fat package? <laughs> no, dude, you, you don't joke. That's where my money would go. You call it opulently fit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people come to us even for the Grand Prix cars because they say they're snug. As yeah. You, as you learned, and uh, so do you thinner cushions in the seats? No, I mean, you know, with the Grand Prix car, the the position of the seat back is limited by the location of the gas tank. Oh. So if we make a slightly smaller gas tank, you move the back seat oh, back okay. a few yeah, inches, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so, okay. You know, but that's a nice thing when you're making everything to order. Yeah, yeah. And a guy comes to me and it's like, okay, we need to improvise a little bit and take, yeah. take the measurements. It's like having a suit made. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys do about interiors? I mean, is it just it's leather and and we or? we make them exactly how they were. So you know, guys can opt for whatever can colors. Can you pre-age them to make yes. them look? Well, we like don't pre- age them. We just buy a bunch of antique furniture and then we take the leather out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's a good strategy, actually. Yeah. Unless I mean, unless you find out the later the furniture is some special, you right. know. Or you um, cut it open and you're like, money. That's a good, no. That's a good idea, actually. Buy antique furniture. You go to these, these the antique fairs in Buenos Aires. We're buying all these chairs. Oh, cool. Get, get these old ladies. This is going to look really great in any room. And if you have any, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. going to my garage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a chainsaw and a sawzall in the back oh, of my no. truck. Oh, <laughs> that's that's rough. But yeah, whatever. So what is? I mean, where am I going with this? I don't know. Well, I, I, had, I had a question. So. One thing that I was reminded of very quickly over the weekend is that I've got a couple of knees that are not in great shape, and I spent a lot of time driving this weekend, and I was having problems with my clutch on for a little while just because my knee was killing me. Do you ever get some of these guys that, that come at you with these older cars and going, is there something we can do on the transmission because my leg is jacked and I can't They want an, automa- like they want an automatic, basically. Yeah, we can't really... Uh, not much there. I mean, we, we know less about simple automatic transmissions than... You know, probably anybody because we, <laughs> we just don't get have no that. idea. So I mean, at that point, I just tell the guy like, "Hey, you know, this probably isn't." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about your question earlier of how? What do you see as far as the future generations, current generations? You know, their interest. How do you how do you uh, perpetuate the interest in these cars? It's a know? really good question because you know there's a there's always a correlation between living human beings and their own memories and the nostalgia and their and their consequent desire for cars. So we've got all this interest right now. Thad, what are you doing over there? You're, just bad, you're bad at this. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, l- look at the interest right now that's strong for 1950s and 60s era Ferraris. Okay? That didn't exist a couple of decades ago because old guys today, the cars of their dreams from their childhood are these cars, these Ferraris, short wheelbase, Cal Spider, you know, whatever. Uh, 20 years ago, the old dudes had dream cars as, you know, a Duesenberg, a Silver Ghost, a Bugatti. So the question is for us, are the Bugattis going to be something that's timeless? And are young people going to get into this stuff like a guy like Faisal in Saudi? Faisal, he's a, he's a fucking rare guy. Because here's a guy with a lot of money who's young. Was he 32 or something? He's young. Yeah. And he's got a lot of money, and and he buys cars like an old white man buys cars. Yeah. Which is crazy. You don't see that a lot. So, yeah, for us, one of two things is going to happen. There are going to be more guys like Faisal 
that you know have this reawakening and they get into it, or we're going to have to get into the post-war stuff yeah. more. So I mean, as it is, you know, we're doing that BMW, we're doing the Maserati A6 GCS, and we're just kind of waiting to see where the market directs us. But we obviously hope that more people will get into pre-war stuff because that's what we're passionate about. It's man, it's a tough sell. That's an uphill battle getting getting people into pre-war when they just don't remember it. It's just a t- it's a tough sell. Yeah, it's not, you know, not impossible, but look at Faisal though. He didn't know what he bought until we drove it in Dubai, and then he was like, "Oh hell yeah!" Yeah. And so I think that a lot of it has to do with how we do marketing. Yeah. And if we give people the opportunity, you know, if there's a guy who's buying all the Ferraris and shit, and he's a he's a real car guy, but he's just never been exposed to our stuff. Yeah. You say, "Hey guy, come down to our shop, and we want to do something special." Yeah, yeah. Get that guy behind the wheel, and all of a sudden he's figured out this new thing that he never imagined would be like that yeah so you know but but yeah to answer your question it's going to be a question of seeing what the market drives us toward and how all this evolves it has to do with you know the the old guys today who have the money or whoever has the money and what they're into and what they're connected to emotionally um and you know there are young guys that get into this i mean surprisingly probably half the calls i get are from young guys under 40. Let's really? Say, in their 30s. That's interesting. Who think this stuff is cool. And hmm. um, I mean, it's really cool. There's there's nothing like it, I think, for the guys that want something really unique. It, it probably fits that bill, and no one's going to be like, oh, a Ferrari, my uncle's got one, or I know there's a couple of those on the street. It's like, how how often do you see that car? You know, And there's a lot you of people never. That, that purchase things because of that. But also, I bet the driving experience is one of a kind. It and is that, one of a kind. And the other thing, too, is, how long is it going to work out that every guy in his 60s uh, has a dream car from his childhood that's not lame? I mean, let's face it. I mean, what what's on the market today that's going to be really cool in 50 years? Veloster. Uh, dude, the, the problem is that com- <laughs> the computers are going to be – I think a lot of the cars that are collector cars now have a – like if you drove a 73 RS Carrera in 73 and then you drive it now – it, it's going to feel kind of the same, whereas a car that's computer controlled, it's going to age out like super fast. Mm. My my uh, Aston Martin Vanquish, for example, early paddle shift gearbox, shit. I mean, utter utter shit. And I'm send. It's in England right now, getting a stick shift put in it because it's it's adding that kind of timeless quality back into it for the next forty years or whatever. Right. So We're also in a phase shift. We're going from hydraulic steering to electric. So. You know, like like a Porsche electric steering right now is probably the best electric steering on the market. But in 15 years, I'm sure it will. We you would drive it and you go, oh, this was terrible compared to what we have now. You know, it'd be really refined. So, how are you going to keep the interest in those things when we're we're? I feel like we're changing more right now in like this kind of 10 year span with direct injection and engines and turbos than we have in the previous like. 10 I, or 20. I I feel like it's like when we went from steam to gas right now. And that we're kind of perfecting gas as a, one where you know as electric is coming up to be mm-hmm. the next major thing. Yeah, and you also can't really you, you can't drive race cars on the street. I mean, John can build a bunch of old race cars that you could then drive on the street. You can't you can't drive a modern race car on the street. So I mean, yeah. So I I think the question becomes, is it always going to be the case that the cars from somebody's childhood are the desirable collector cars when he comes of age and yeah. has the money? 
or is that guy who's still into cars going to maybe then embark or you know be forced almost to embark on an educational experience yeah and and go back to you know deciding you know what what's worth looking into here yeah so maybe it'll be more and more the case that the emotional connection from the past with the nostalgia becomes less of the the buying impulse you know there may be something to that especially with all the love love of the Morgan three wheeler over the last five or six years there may be there may be really something to that thing could be. Know. You drove a three wheeler. They're pretty the fun. No, I never have. They're they're not good cars, but they're really good fun <laughs> to drive. And, and that's the thing is, like, they came out. No one had seen it, but they get a lot of press. Everyone goes, "These are so fun to drive," and they just create this market. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's just as long as you tell people how great it is, and it is. So how many how many uh, cars a year are you guys building, give or take? Twenty more or less. That's that's, that's some. And are, do you no no I mean I don't I don't mean that to be know, insulting just, but like that's that's a real number I mean are yeah. do you find that these here's a, a problem with building continuation cars or whatever is that do the people who have them then present them as this is a Persang car as Faisal did or are they going to try and pass it off as as a real an original uh, yeah it, it's not really a problem most guys that buy these because they have, they've already got you know their feet wet with car stuff in general. Yeah, they're they're usually pretty good about it. Um, you know, there was one time I remember a guy that just was out of his league when he bought a Bugatti from us, and he bought it. And you know, the car world is small, first of all. So if you think you're going to go out and misrepresent it, someone's going to figure it out yeah, sooner rather you're than just later. Embarrass yourself. So sure yeah. enough, this guy went to some Ferrari club meeting and started telling all his buddies that he found an old Bugatti in a barn somewhere. And oh, yeah. This original car, and he was going to present it in a Concours. And it was great. I just humiliated the guy. I, I, I sent out to all these people. I said, here's his order. Yeah, here's, here's his spec sheet. Yeah. <laughs> car is six months old. Oh, yeah. But presenting something as a barn find is probably a bad idea. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't recommend doing that. Yeah, and I mean, it's like everybody sure. knows where the real Mona Lisa is hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. knows where the surviving Bugatti how many, uh How many original cars were built versus how many have you guys built of, like, the Type 35? Oh, man. Uh, for the 35B... Um, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even remember because they did several variations, different series of uh-huh. the 35s, but there weren't many. I mean, total for the 35s, you know, maybe a hundred. Okay, I think a lot less for the Type 51. I think they only built like 20 or 30. So I mean, we're talking like very small numbers of cars, yeah, yeah. but it's hilarious because you know of the you know pull a number out of the hat of the 30 or 100. I'm sorry, 100. Let's say original Type 35s made. You know, only like 500 exist mm-hmm. <laughs> because you have all these guys with the original, so-called yeah, yeah, original yeah. cars, and they take them apart, and then they make three cars out of the one original <laughs> oh, car. Oh, God. That was stuff that, you know, 20 years ago was yeah. happening a lot more. Yeah. That's fucking – ugh. So uh, what do you even do? Well, I mean, I think that's a really good case for why, you know, a continuation – that's completely new is a good buy because you know what it is. Yeah, I guess at least you have documentation. Yeah. Is there? I mean, your cars are they're they're deep in the six figure range. Is there? I mean, not that it's your responsibility, but is there a resale value on them? Or I mean, yeah, they do great. Um, you know, we 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 sell a Type Thirty Five B for around a quarter million, and you know, on the used market, they're um, you know, usually around three hundred. 
Oh, so, oh, okay. So it's actually not a bad investment either. Yeah, the reason being is that you've got the guys who are okay with the way we do things as uh-huh. far as placing an order and needing to wait for it to be done and yeah. you know, a custom car. And some people don't want to wait. Some people don't want to wait. So you sell your car used and, you know, it's already in the country. You have it here and now. For a lot of guys, it's it's worth it to them to, to spend that. Yeah. When you're talking about a price on a car that's about the same as what it would cost to restore the original version of that yeah, car, yeah, I mean, yeah. for a lot of these guys, it's, you know... Not worth Just arguing. Just make a over. phone call, yeah. call it a day. Right. That's great. What do we got from Facebook? I, we had a couple of questions from Facebook, I think. Uh, yeah, we, we covered one of them. How do you register these things? Uh, figure it out yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, do do your owners have a problem with the, the kit car stigma? I know we touched on it a little bit, but uh, do, yeah. they, do they care, or is it just something that is, you know? Yeah, it's a tough one because, again, you know, you've got – is it original? No. So it's a replica then. Well, no. Well, then what the hell is it? And so now you have to give the guy a dissertation in the in the parking lot of the of the car <laughs> gathering, yeah. you know. And um, I think that for the people that understand what these are, uh, it's clear that you know they're really far away from a kit car kind of setup. So you're talking about something that is, you know, I, you know, I think the best word's continuation. Um, Bugatti stopped with chassis number 50, and we started with chassis number 51. But it's the same thing at the end of the day. So the people who I think would get uh, caught up with a with a, a kit car kind of stigma would be the people who have kit cars. But anybody who spends even a few minutes looking at one of our cars, if anything, they're going to be convinced it's original, mm-hmm. not a kit car. Um, yeah, I didn't really I, – I, I looked all over this thing, and I – not that I'm an expert in this sort of shit, but like – it looks fucking old. It looks like it matches. It's not like there's modern stuff that all you have to do is lift this flap and there's like an ECU in there. Like it's not. You <laughs> no, know. when you're forging the axles, oh, it has like chains to control the brake bias running to the front and the back of the car. It's crazy. Like, yeah, none of that stuff's. It's all around. metal. It's all yeah, you know, it's all it's, it's all, all real stuff. Metal, yeah. Uh, I I think the guy that would maybe you know want to say it's a kit car if he didn't know the full story would be looking at it from 50 feet away. And the closer he gets to it, the more the kit car idea is going to go out of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I, I like what Jay Leno said about this. He said a lot of a lot of kit cars, a lot of replicas are like transvestites. They look good from about a hundred feet away. <laughs> then you get into close and realize you have a big problem. And the opposite is true for our cars because, you know, when you when you get in and take a really close look, that's when it's well, wait, wait a minute. Well, what? Hold on. What is this? This looks like the real deal. Yeah. What is is there any issues with licensing and trademarks and that kind of stuff? Can you can no? You... I mean we we don't we don't sell these as Bugattis. We sell them as Persangs. Um, you know the design of the car is not copyrighted. The logo oh, really? is, and so the cars are shipped without the logo. The owner puts that on, you know, by their own. You can you can buy a badge somewhere and you can yeah. buy a badge somewhere. I know yeah. a guy. Well, it's yeah. eBay. You get it for seven dollars from China, right? Yeah. You do it like guns where you, you ship them a separate envelope with a badge, and you're like, I, I'm not telling you to put this on. Like, <laughs> like you can buy handguns. You can put this, this on your refrigerator. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, That's fair enough. Last one for you was, uh, do you think that making these one-offs or having like one-off companies is less common than it used to be in pre-war? Like There used to be all these coach builders, and that's what they did, and they took – but yeah. w- w- you, why did that go away, or hmm. is it just quieter now? Regulations? Yeah, regulations are, are the thing that probably really killed it, and then that's just created now a culture of people that are used to having, you know, monotony where everything's the same. Um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, to do what we're doing 
anywhere else in the world today would be really expensive, first of all. I think people would still buy them, you know, custom-built, custom-coach building, all that kind of thing. But, you know, the government killed it. That's the bottom line. You can't you can't have something that's on the public roads that is only ever uh, completely custom-designed and custom-built. Uh, you know, to be fair, I think there's probably still an interest in that kind of thing. I mean, we get requests for guys that, you know, like the like Leno's Fiat or that V16 Cadillac where, you know, hey, we want something that reflects our taste that's totally unique, a special build, and we'll do that. But, I mean, we're well, Ferrari right. will. It's a Ferrari or Rolls-Royce will sell you a, a coach-built car for enough money. Do, I mean, you can get that. You can get, uh, what's his name, Eric Clapton's. Like four five eight was done up like a like an uh, like a uh, a boxer, you know they 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 do some they'll do to us I think you have to leave the glass or something you, you know, know the glass and the roof structure well, but Glickenhaus's Scuderia whatever thing yeah, yeah. all based off of a four thirty yeah like, so yeah he's the there only one that's there are some like doing people coach doing stuff. coach building but it's so it's for the expensive. super rich though oh it's, it's deep all carbon in the, fiber deep in the millions titanium. now. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could say car. that, you know, back in the 30s, having a custom coach building was a kind of a common thing, but it was a common thing among the people who could afford yeah, yeah, to buy yeah. cars. And now everybody has a car. And so who are the pool of people for whom this is still of interest enough that they would want to? It's probably the same the amount of people that are coach building cars today, really. <laughs> well, because you think about, you know, for every, you know, Mercedes SSK Count Trossi, there's fucking 800,000 you know, cars that rusted away in a junkyard that no one gave a shit about. Yeah. You know, so it's the same kind of thing now. You you talk about your your 20 or your 30 really significant cars, and then everything else is just sort of washed on the drain. Right. Um, yeah, anything else? Racebook? Um, not for John. We've got just a few about uh, random, oh, random and things and stuff. Um, busy moto. If you were to put a V8 swap in an RX-7, would you choose Japanese or USA engine? Oh, yeah. So we did, We filmed these two Mazda RX-7s, and one had a rotary and one had a, a LS motor in it. We were trying to figure out which was better. And uh, the LS motor was interesting because it made the RX-7 feel exactly like a Corvette. Wow. Like, it, you get in, you go, this is a fucking Corvette. It's, it felt exactly like it. Well, it's about the same size. Very similar about suspension. About the same size, about the same weight, about the same suspension yeah. geometry. They even kind of look alike. <clears throat> T56 gearbox, you know, and yeah. it, it, it felt exactly like a Corvette. So the answer is buy a used Corvette? I mean, I think if you if what you want is a car that feels like a Corvette, you should probably buy a Corvette. You know, an RX-7. Well, then you don't have to figure anything out. Yeah. it's Yeah, you buy it and it's, you just turn the key and you're good to go. The, the just throw an LS in it philosophy... I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of the simpler ways to go, but it certainly doesn't make it easy. I mean, these guys who built this one car know what they're doing, and they still had issues that they were working out that are not plug and play. Yeah, they, so. they're they're competitive drag racers, uh, both the guy and his dad, and they've built like serious level cars, mm -hmm. numerous numerous different car projects, and they're like, ah, oh, we're still trying to get like. What was it, like the AC didn't the, work? On the, the AC didn't work, and, and the the uh, one of the gauges did the the, yeah. the speedometer didn't work, and like whenever you try and switch and harnesses with you know it's I don't know I, I probably I'd rather have the rotary car, although I didn't like what that rotary car sounded like. It was a, it was the worst sounding car in the world. Yeah, that's that's why all this mechanical stuff is awesome. Like you can get a '54 Chevy with a carb and fix it forever. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere, and not have a computer. It's great. Like all the all of your stuff is mechanical. 
Yeah. There's a lever and a thing and a piston. Meanwhile, you need to be him to fucking fix it. I can't. I couldn't do it. I, I but it's like it's more attainable than hacking the the program. Yeah. It's like oh, there's no air. Let's it, fix it is the more air accessible, problem for sure. We, we is had, it? We do, your guys, do your customers work on their own cars? Ever? Oh yeah, that's that's do? part of the the whole experience. I mean, even Faisal's car when I got to Dubai, we had a huge problem the night before we went on that drive, and I thought we weren't going to be able to go. And it was hilarious because it turns out fuel density over there is different than it is anywhere else. Uh-huh. And the float was at a, a wrong level as a result. And so I figured all that out, and I just had to take out the little needle valve, and I found, like, a junk washer somewhere. Yeah. Put it under it, and then it ran fine. Oh. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. You know, if you're at the mercy of a computer, then it's like, okay, call in call in NASA. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, here, here we were in the middle of, like, literally in Phil's driveway. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we fixed it, so. Like, Was there like, any issue? Do you have issue with... Leaded, unleaded gas, does it matter? Um, yeah, I mean, leaded is, is better, obviously, is it? for a lot of reasons, you know. I mean, it, it, it lubricates stuff better, and, um, you know, even for little things like, you know, the, we, we always set them up to run on leaded, and then invariably when they get shipped, the owners are like, it's not running, this car's broken, and it's something stupid like adding a washer because yeah, the, yeah. the fuel's at a different, you know, weight or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, I, I think let it let it is best. Racing fuel, no ethanol. Um, that's the way to fly. Yeah, I fucking hate ethanol. Ethanol sucks. <laughs> Ugh, um, ethanol's the worst. I, I, it's great for boosted cars. Eth- no, it's not because you go th- you get like three miles a gallon, and then when you run out, you're like, oh, where's the E85 station? Oh, there isn't one because there's never one. The E85 station is a quarter of a mile from the hundred octane place. E- fuck <laughs> off! Is it really? It is. Really? <laughs> yeah. What that what? That, on, on San Vicente. That fucking 76, on there, the next one up? The next one up on Barrington has, has E85. E85. <laughs> I don't care. E85 I, still sucks. I, I I'll agree with that. There's some states that have a ton of E85, and this isn't one of them. Yeah. So, it, it, I like it because it, it really inhibits detonation. Yeah, no, it's a good. I don't. Good yeah, I don't. Power yeah, I don't give a shit. I care about the fact that it's impossible to fucking find, and whatever you put it in races through it. And oh, by the way, that RX-7 rotary had uh, just about the worst fuel economy of any car I've ever tested. Yeah, that's a rotary. I went through a tank and a half of fuel. doing. A, so we had a, one car with a boosted rotary, one car with an LS motor, 6-liter V8. The LS motor car went through a third of a tank of fuel. The rotary car went through a tank and a half. <laughs> that's all you need to know about RX-7s and rotary right. engines. Like, different for different sake, not different because better. Hmm. Right? I don't know. Um, last two, what do, you, what do you think would be the best $100,000 investment car right now? Like I said, stretch to one fifty, including repairs and whatnot. Air-cooled Porsche? I'm I mean, going 550 I'm Marinello. saying 550. 550 Marinello with a stick? Those are cheap. A three D five, you know. I mean, one hundred and fifty like grand, you can get two of those. I would, I would. That's I mean, the best idea, actually. A nine six four turbo three six. What are those going for these days? Probably a hundred. I think you have yeah. to get two three fifty five. Keep one, double the price on the other. You one. can buy the nicest three fifty five ever for eighty thousand dollars. So you do that, and then you buy the an average one also, and beat the shit out of the average one, right? The other like one your that's guys going up do. Crazy right invest- now. Nine nine six GT threes are skyrocketing. Because everyone at the same time realized, why yep. are these things so cheap? Yep. <laughs> they yeah. went from 25 to, to like 75, 80 in two years. When were they 25? When were they 25? They were, I've you, never seen a GT3 for 25 grand. Yep. I saw 50 once. That was, a, that was about the lowest and I ever saw. And 996s went to 50. GT3s. Yeah, like 50. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's that's about the lowest I've seen on a GT3. Um, last one. Do you think uh, this is the Hellcat engine question? But do you think they could be used for low volume sports cars? Do you think we'll see that where people are like buying Hellcat engines from Chrysler and then putting it in their TVR? I I don't think so. I think a Hellcat engine is physically gigantic, and the pro the the thing that LS motors work are is that they're small. So you can fit an LS motor into a car that was never designed to have a V8 because it's small. The Hellcat like look at the Viper. The Viper was go- was supposed to have a Hellcat engine, but it didn't fit because mm-hmm. it's better than the V10 because it's a fucking gigantic motor. And, and the plumbing, you have like so much cooling. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't just <clears throat> set this block in there. Never yeah. mind the fact that Hemi motors suck for project cars because the ECMs are impossible to deal with. Yeah, that's the other thing is you have to run a factory ECU, which yep. is which is not many people want to do when they're spending you know twenty five grand on a Hellcat engine. Like a blastoline car, but it has a. Challenger dashboard. You're like, yeah. I couldn't hack the ECU. Actually, I, yeah. I don't even think anybody's done anything with a Hellcat motor as of yet. I don't even know no, if you can get one. No, they're really have new. you guys done any, like, uh, John, have you done any, like, hot roddy type stuff, or is it all European stuff, other than your Model T, obviously? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the closest thing to hot rod, probably. That and the, really? you know. I mean, to be fair, I mean, the other stuff we do, putting an airplane engine in a chassis. That's I fucking mean, hot rod. Okay. That's so hot that's, rod. That's, yeah, yeah. What's in your personal collection besides your grandfather's Model T? Uh, I've got a 1915 Ford race car. That's, really? It's got everything. I mean, it's just a crazy little thing. Driver? Oh, yeah. yeah Sick. It makes a lot of noise and smoke <laughs> and goes like 80 miles an hour. It's just stupid. It's like, it's like, it's like driving a mattress down the road at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> that sounds fun. We should do that. <laughs> um, I've got uh, a little Fiat 600 Jardinera. I've got a um, E-Type Jag oh. Coupe. I've nice. Got a, uh, what engine in the E-Type? I don't know. I just bought it, and I mean, I, I, like, I mean, I'm, uh, it's, it's it's just with cars like anything that's not pre-war. Like, I can't get it to register in my head to save my life. But the thing came my way, and it was pretty, and it was priced right, so I bought it. Oh, and, okay, and E-Type. I haven't even driven it yet. And, really? Does uh, it run though? Yeah, it's good to oh, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, and then I my, my favorite recent acquisition is a Mark II Jaguar Saloon. Saloon. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have bought, other than the fact that I found this thing in a barn in England, and this was Carol Shelby's daily driver. Fuck off! When he was while he was doing the AC Cobra. Come on, is there documentation on that? Yep. Fuck off. Yep. What does the documentation look like for that? Like he, he like is it a photograph of him like jacking off in the back seat? I mean, what is it? Yeah. What is the documentation right on the back seat? That's with some the photograph. Yeah. With three Playboy buddies, they're all yeah, in the saloon. Sounds like it. <laughs> uh, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Ian Callum recently. Okay. He's got a really neat Mark II saloon that's like resto modded, and it's yeah. got like louvered vents, okay. and and it's got it's a Jag motor in there, but it's really it's hot rotted, and and it's right. really really neat. It's cool cars. I'm having mine bored out before it Are comes stateside. <laughs> We're just gonna, you know, I figure, hey, and I want to keep it all original, keep yeah. the paint and everything, but I figured. You know, I don't think Carol would mind. No, Carol I, would be you know, about that yeah. life. He would. He so. would. He'd say something. I need this bitch to go 200 mile an hour before I fucking die. <laughs> That's what he said about the Mustang. <laughs> so now, now bring me some bitch with huge titties while you guys make this thing go 200 mile an hour. I don't care what you got to do to do it. You fucking do it. You heard me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's a good, good, solid collection. Yeah. And the E Class Daily Driver. Fair enough, sir. Yeah. The, well, now the E Class was an accident. 
I, uh, <laughs> I, Here's I, a disclaimer I, I, about I never, why he's driving an E-Class. <laughs> it was never supposed to happen. I was I, I used to spend a lot less time in California, and I was with a rental car one day, and I was fed up, and there was a car lot across the street, so I bought this E-Class on my debit card. Just because nice. I figured this is going to be nice. better than Baller. having a, a fucking rental car. And so now, like a year and a half later, I'm like, how do I get rid of this stupid? E- I want to uh, sell it to CarMax. Yeah, so that's that's good. It happen. looks kind of it looks newish. Yeah, it is. It's like a 13 or a 14, isn't it? It's like new. It's, it's a 12. Oh, all right, it looks it looks pretty new. But oh, you could dump you could dump it. Whatever. I got it. I'm I'm bad at new cars because I'm an old car nerd. Yeah, and yeah. So when it comes to like, okay, I'm you know I should probably drive something that. You know, matches what I, I feel do, you. I know, but I don't know. Like, I'm just not into new cars. I don't read what's coming out. Anything, yeah, yeah. So. Well, you can buy a Veyron. They're cheap now. <laughs> and that, that sort of is in line. Yeah, actually, I know. I feel you though, because I know I tell people I drive a Chevy Volt, and they're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Yeah, but you gotta. Sometimes you gotta get you there. You gotta do it. First time I had an experience with a McLaren was in Jetta with Faisal. With his 12C, mm-hmm. and we played around with that thing. Fucking and, fast, right? And you know what? I am sold. <laughs> yeah. You know why I'm sold? Why? One reason, and only one reason. It shoots fucking flames oh, out, yeah. the, out the back. Well, we have a that, rule that, that, that uh, here at the Smoking Tire, which is uh, cars that shoot fire are better than cars that don't shoot fire. I subscribe That's to a that. rule. That's a rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, anytime that fucking rotary shot nice fire, yeah. that was good. LS Motors, they don't shoot fire. Yeah. Senior rotary for that. Or no mufflers. Or no mufflers. No technically, the Venom shot fire. What do you mean? Not even technically. The Venom GT shoots fucking fire. But it's an LS motor. Oh, that's a good point. LS motors yeah. with twin turbos and 18-inch exhausts will and shoot 1400 fire. 1,400 horsepower. <laughs> yeah. What do you think a used 12C would cost? They're player? cheap, man. They fucking... Like 80 grand? Not that no. cheap. I've seen them as low as like 110. Okay, but Still I think if you can buy one like with an extended warranty for 110, I think it's a buy. What? Like the f- what? Are you serious? What? No, you're right. Why would you ever buy a 911 C4? No, no. Well, because a- Porsches work mostly. Extended warranty McLaren. McLarens like just don't leave the. They don't on. like. They don't like work that well. It's not that like they're <laughs> bad. Like I'm not. I'm not shitting on McLarens. Like they're fucking saying. fast. Like. But like they, there's, there's some, some. They have some things about them that might make them less ideal than, say, a 911. But 110 grand for a used one is a fucking buy. Yeah. They took a a major hit in the first. They took one big hit when they first came out, and anyone who paid 275 for one just got, just got. Well, it's like the crazy used dealership in my neighborhood. Yeah. All the 12C's gone. Now it's all I see are 650s around my really? house. Really? Yeah. I, they, they, took a, they took a hit. They went from 270 to 150 hmm. immediately. Then the, then the new 650S came out, and they dropped to 110, and they're hovering around 110. Well, now wow. they have the 675. Yeah, now they have the long tail and whatever. I, I think they're a good buy at 110. I mean, they will come down from there, but how much could they come down? I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to see a, a $55,000 McLaren anytime soon. So <laughs> I think, which would be sweet. <laughs> that would be awesome. By the time that happens, I might have enough to scrape together to do Yeah, that. I mean, they're cheap enough oh, now wow. that there's not even much room for them to drop. I mean, yeah. it, it's not like a, a McLaren's ever going to be cheaper than a Ferrari 360, is it? Right. Is it? Oh, I don't know. No, there's no way. You know, and if 360s and early Gallardos are hovering in that 75 range... I think the, the there's still going to be some kind of a buffer. Why wouldn't a McLaren go that low? 
Because it's a much better car than a 360 or an early Gallardo. Still the same kind of buyers. Same thing, same market. 360 came out, it was amazing. Still fewer built in the 12 Cs than than even the Gallardos or the 360s. Yes, that's true. I don't know. I think at 110 for for an early Macca, if it's been sorted and has a... uh, and as an extended warranty is a good is a good buy. Mm. I would I think you you would enjoy that. Yeah. It's a good daily. You think it, it would be? Yeah, yeah. With that no sway bar thing, mm. it's really good around L.A. It's a good daily. A friend of mine dailies one. It's, he likes it a lot. He put a lot of miles on it. I think right. Roland has Roland has something like like twenty thousand miles on his McLaren. He has two though. He got a second one. You didn't hear about this? Oh, did he buy a second one? He hated Fucking the, the no, non-existent <laughs> door handles. Oh, yeah. So he bought that's, a second that's one. That's the problem with the McLaren, is the, the the early ones have no door handles, and right. you have to do that swipey thing. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. Really? So, yeah, it's really it's really bad. Does it you really not work? It doesn't work well. Okay. It, it works, no. but it's not like you can't just, like... It doesn't, and also, the, the, the you have to swipe, like, you have to be touching the, the, the door, and and the area that you swipe is right where all this dirt collects. You just go, and it's like, oh, your oh. hand is... You gotta have, like, wipes in the car and shit. And you can't send it to them, and they won't just put a button on it? I don't I don't know what they'll do. Maybe they'll there's a retrofit. Maybe they'll do something, because I, I think 10... Was, was the first year 10 or 11? I think it was 2010. The first two years have no door handles, and then they added door handles. But no, you're right. I mean, it's it's a basic photo sensor. You could totally just wire a button mm-hmm. up underneath there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I'll put it on a clicker or something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're fast. They're really fast. Yeah, they are. Ride yeah. Comfort is amazing. I drove one across L.A. in the city streets, and it's just, I couldn't believe how smooth it was. Yeah. It's really good. All right. So where can people find you if they want to find you? What's the website? PersangArgentina.com. PersangArgentina.com. And then Instagram as well. You have Is yeah, it PersangArgentina? We're on both Instagram and Facebook at PersangArgentina. And how do you spell Persang? P-U-R-S-A-N-G. Their, their cars are legit as hell. I mean, they're really, really neat. Um, they're, they're beautiful. And, and, I mean, I don't know if there's any customers out there that happen to have uh, six figures to spend on a pre-wear car. But if not, if you're just interested in checking them out, it's really worth uh, scoping their website. Jay Leno's Garage, he has a nice video uh, uh, with the black car, right? Yes. Uh, he's got we, – we've done, I think, three or four videos now, road tests. There's stuff on Sports Card Digest. If you check out the website in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uploading a ton of new content as far as links to all the different road tests that have been done over the years. And if you check out uh, Persang's social media, you can see uh, Faisal's Type 35 yes. at the uh, at the Bahrain circuit. It's it, The pictures are fucking – I've got to pull one up now. <laughs> They're so cool because you've got these – you know, it's that, uh, that Paul Riccardi type surface with – the blue lines and all that stuff, and then just this old ass car. Wait, Persang, Persang Argentina. Look at this, dude. How how boss is this picture? I mean, these guys they're like <laughs> they're like caning this thing on a Formula One circuit. It's so cool. This crazy arm. Like I wish I had the wheel. balls to do that, man. That's it's crazy. You just work your way up, I guess, right? Uh, or just you just get a phone call at the right time. That's know? awesome. Just go for it. I, I packed for Europe and I ended up in Bahrain. Go figure. That's so wild. Yeah. What's your actual job with the company? Because you don't own it. What do you do over there? Um, I don't even know. I'm the cur- commercial director. Oh, okay. I'm one of the partners. And <laughs> Usually we would start the interview with this. Yeah. So now- <laughs> Actually, I don't work with Persang. Uh, I was just he hanging out in the parking lot. his way and- into the fucking thing. And, and what's your name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a great picture of Musto. Looking looking all giant in the Persang car. Look at that. 
Musto shat his pants. He came down. He got out of that car going, "What? What did I just do?" He was. He was. He was losing his mind. He wow. told. He said he can't tell anyone at home. He said I just went down the hill with my arm around a Bin Laden. Like, if I if I tell people, I could never go home. <laughs> I was kind of surprised I didn't get put into a little room at the airport when I came back through LAX. Yeah, dude. It's like, oh, you were hanging out with who? Yeah, yeah. Faisal was telling me, oh, you're gonna get to see my VAP lounge in the airport. <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny about Musto saying that though? Like Musto doesn't have cousins that have done some iffy shit. Yeah, well, I. If, there's iffy, and then there's well, those, yeah, but and then still, there's some you, other cousins. You don't have control over what your family does. No, no, no. And Faisal's fucking cool as shit, and he has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He's just a chill dude who loves cars yeah. and makes a good living. Thanks for coming, dude. Thanks, as, for uh, I appreciate it. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go over to the the improv and check out Eddie F's Bingle Bus reveal and uh, and comedy show. So we will report back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and our website, thesmokingtire.com. Uh... What else do I to plug anything? Let's plug. New episodes of Drive Plus and Drive every uh, Friday. Yeah. New episodes of The Smoking Tire Tuesdays and Thursdays. New podcasts every Wednesday. Ah, thank you for turning on the lights. It was getting fucking moody and dark in here. And finally, oh, if you have a Fox Body Mustang and you want a set of wheels or a MagnaFlow exhaust, hit me up because I got my stalkers for sale. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, that was what that was for. I'll see you fools next week. Thank you so much for coming by, Thank John. You. I appreciate it. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs>